You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. As James indicated, we are starting a new series in First Peter. We our, our regular pattern here at New Life is to sort of oscillate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we've just finished an Old Testament series, so so now we're starting this one in in Peter's first letter. Uh, I love Peter. I, I I hope you will too if you don't already. All right, blue collar guy, fisherman, uh, drafted by uh, Jesus, and drafted by Jesus into his service not because he was so holy and blameless. Uh, that's, I think, one of the endearing things about Peter, right? He's, he is r- relatable because, like us, he, d- he, d- he does some things right and he, d- and he does some things spectacularly wrong. Um, and uh, often get out ahead of himself, get his priorities wrong, say things he regretted. Um, it, it, no, no wonder I can relate to him. Um, and... Uh, so to to hear from him directly in this first letter is uh, is a real privilege. Uh, this first letter of Peter has two main themes: uh, the reality of suffering and how to live as a Christian in in light of the reality of suffering. It is, uh, as you can imagine, coming from Peter, a gospel-soaked letter. We're just going to be looking at the introduction today, the greetings, uh, just two verses, and already you'll see, I think, how how gospel-soaked it, it, it is. Um, so our text is 1 Peter chapter 1, ver- verses 1 and 2, uh, just, just two verses. Uh, this is the part of the book that would normally, we'd kind of skim over, but uh, with Peter, you can't do it. He just can't help himself, even in the greeting. He's, he's, he's giving us the gospel here. So uh, if, um, if you're able, uh, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? It's printed for you in the bulletin, by the way, if, if you don't have a Bible. It's God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, Speak to us through your word today. Uh, Help me uh, to speak clearly, truthfully. Forgive my sins. Have mercy on me. Help all of us as we hear your word to trust it, to trust you in all things. We pray pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I... I read what is really just the Dear John part of the letter. Uh, Yet you can see, I think, that there's already a lot of data here. 
And this data is both realistic and encouraging. We're to break it down today by asking this text two, two questions. First, what does this introduction tell us about your life situation? Okay. And then second, what does this introduction tell you about your life security? So we're going to focus first on life situation and then life security. What's it tell you about your life situation? Well, you might be tempted to say at first, not much, right? Uh, it seems to be uh, chronologically distant and culturally distant, right? Peter is writing to very early Christians who lived in the, the 60s, the original 60s, uh, 62 or 3 AD, uh, during the reign of uh, Emperor Nero. Uh, this is probably just before the uh, Neuronic um, uh, persecution really ramps up. Um, happened in the mid-60s. Uh, so so there, it's a long time ago. And, and culturally, it's distant, too. They're, they are in listed there. These are um, these are provinces, and they're relatively remote provinces in the Roman Empire. Asia is not what we know as Asia. Asia was the was the name of a uh, a province in the Roman Empire, uh, and they're all in what we know today as Turkey. Okay, um, so you you'd think, okay, well, he's talking to Christians two thousand years ago in a in a, a remote part of the Roman Empire. How could that be relevant to me? Well, actually, what Peter writes here, not surprisingly, since it's in the Bible, uh, contains truth that is universal to all Christians. And, and it really is as directly relevant to you as it, as it was to those believers to whom he specifically addressed the letter. Um, and what he says about their life situation and your life situation is essentially this. This world is not your home. That's your situation. You're living in a place that is not your home. Now, he doesn't say that in those words. He says it by calling the Christians here exiles. Verse 1, you're exiles in this dispersion. Uh, That's a good translation, but it's a little bit remote for our our contemporary English usage. Actually, another perfectly appropriate translation and more contemporary translation would be something like resident alien or temporary resident, right? Words, terms that we're familiar with in in our contemporary debates about about immigration. You You are living here, but it is not officially your home. You may, and you're, you're probably here just temporarily. You ha- you're going to have to return sometime to your home. Now think about home. You know, what makes home home? It's certainly a place where you are both known and loved, right? It's a place where you are heard and respected. It's a place that fits you, right? It, it reflects your morals, your values, your tastes, what you like and enjoy. I realized the other night, uh, as uh, af- after living 20 years in our house now, with the longest 
time we've lived in any single place. And I was walking through our house in the middle of the night. It was totally dark. And yet I was walking around in total confidence. I couldn't see anything, but I could, I could walk around uh, my house. Why? Well, because it's home, right? It fits. Uh, I know where things are. Um, and they're right where I want them. Home is also something that you long for, right? And I don't, uh, I, we may not feel that every day, but um, if you've ever experienced homesickness, uh, that's probably an acute form of that kind of longing for home. I told you about, I've told you before about that. I can, I can, I can still remember that, that sort of real longing for home when I was a college freshman driving home for Thanksgiving and just couldn't wait to get home. I mean, it was just, you know, you, you've been caught up. I've got a, you know, I'm living in a dorm. I've got a new roommate. I'm making a lot of new friends. I'm up in a bunch of classes and, you know, challenging classes. And so I, I just the prospect of being home, even for a couple of days, and to experience mom's cooking and to smell the turkey and to sleep in my bed and to, right? All of that was just, it, I longed for it just really deeply. I mean, it was I, as I was racing down the five uh, freeway uh, to get home. Um, some of you who uh, have been deployed in the military service, no doubt, have have felt that longing uh, for home as well. Well, you know, that now think about our world and, and, and the culture that we find ourselves in. in. In no way, really, for Christians is this home, right? We're, it, we're in a world that's characterized by sickness and suffering and ultimately dying. Uh, we're all moving toward that grim reality, even though we sense down deep in our hearts that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, the culture's morals and values are, are progressively moving away from biblical norms. Many of the world's problems aren't getting solved. They seem to be getting worse. Um, I think about parents. I talk to you, parents of of, of young children and um, you know with the with the rapid change uh, in our culture and the introduction of you know competing philosophies and worldviews like um, most most recently like the critical race theory has sort of made it for you as you think about the education of of your children it's it's kind of like someone came in in the middle of the night and rearranged all the furniture Right? It's, it's, a, it's an unknown and dangerous kind of place now. Um, and certainly Christians are today, uh, like the Christians in Peter's day, uh, being pushed to the margins. Uh, they, they, were, they were in kind of a remote part of the Roman Empire, and that was symbolic of the fact of, of, uh, of a more sort of systemic marginalization. They, Christians were... were were marginalized. They had pushed away from from influence uh, and moved toward scorn, moved toward ridicule uh, at best, and 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 moved toward persecution and martyrdom at worst. Uh, that was happening then. It's happening today. 
In our country, we're, we probably experience more an increasing amount of scorn and ridicule and sort of being marginalized, minimized for our faith. Um, others of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are are suffering much more severe persecution and even martyrdom for proclaiming uh, their allegiance to Jesus. So there's just no way as Christians that we can say this is home and we're feeling it. And I suspect a lot of it, us have felt that acutely in the last year and a half. Um, and, if, and if you've been unusually angry or unusually upset or unusually anxious in this last year and a half uh, over what's been happening in our culture, uh, Peter's reminder is a helpful reminder. You know, you're not home. This, this isn't your home. So we ought not to be surprised. We ought not to have an expectation that it's all going to line up and fit with who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, there's, in, in one real sense, there's, there's, we're, we're always going to be offensive in, in, in the in the world and in our culture, right? The, because the gospel, the essential message of Christianity, is irreducibly offensive. Now, that doesn't mean, please, that's, I'm not giving you license to, to be offensive as a person. Right? Christians should not be jerks. But, but the message that we carry, uh, that, that God, the Creator, came to his creation exclusively in, in Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose uh, from the dead and now must be trusted and worshipped and served as the one and only Lord. That is not and will never be, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, a welcome message in, in our world in our country, in our state, you know, that's on a sin-fueled trajectory uh, away from God. So, so, you know, we're going to be irreducibly offensive, and, and as a result, you know, we should expect that uh, as resident aliens, we're going to experience some suffering, some opposition, some marginalization. But listen, if, if getting overly upset uh, or anxious is not the right response to our situation. Neither is it right to cynically write off the world uh, or not care about the world and retreat into our own little Christian subculture. Both reactions, right? Being too upset at what's going on or being too uncaring about it, too removed from it, uh, are wrong. Both those reactions are wrong. As followers of Jesus, we're called to engage the world. We're called to influence the world. Not primarily through human power structures, but by, as we say, as, as the Lord instructed us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, by being God's agents in bringing God's kingdom to earth. Thy kingdom come. Right? Thy will be done. And you guys, each of you, as, as men and women, as believers in, in Jesus, you do that sort of sub covertly. You do it subversively uh, as you uh, work with integrity 
uh, and excellence uh, as you do your work unto the Lord, as you worship God faithfully, as you raise your kids to the best of your ability in the faith, uh, as you testify, as you give, are given opportunity to to the reality and the uh, uh, to the reality of the crucified and risen Jesus, as you deny yourself daily, and whatever that means, right? Um, we deny our, we, we are to deny ourselves in countless ways. Uh, and as we love and serve, proactively love and serve our neighbors in the name of Jesus. And finally, as we die well. Now, I'm fully aware that what I've just said sounds pitifully weak to a lot of people. It sounds pitifully weak and naive uh, because the world is totally invested in political power, in economic power, in technological power, military power. But friends, let me just say that the way of Jesus is, is more powerful still. And the way of Jesus is, you know, is, is quiet, uh, and, it's, and it's the way of you know, of virtually giving up power and, 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 and giving up rights and, and, and serving and loving. And that makes us magnetically attractive. So it's odd, right? We, we're carrying a message that is irreducibly offensive, and yet at the same time, the world finds us magnetically attractive. They will not like... Uh, the you, the um, exclusive nature of your message, that Jesus is the one and only Lord. They will love your love. Right? They will push back against the truth claims of the gospel, but they will embrace the fact that you are, are uh, you, you know, helping the poor. Or... Or, or, or sending meals to, to a sick family or visiting friends in the hospital. It's, it is, it's, it's, the, it's the magic of, of the gospel. And of, of, it's, it, it is, we're simultaneously offensive and attractive, which is exactly what Jesus was. So it's, it's not surprising that, that we should be that way. And, and Jesus... And, the, and Peter and the men who followed him, you know, revolutionized the world following the way of Jesus. So um, that's, that's the first point. Our, our life situation is that we're not home. So second, then, if that's the case, that we're... we're um, we're living in a place right now that is not our home. What's our life security? Can we have security? Can we have confidence? Can we, it, it, knowing that we're going to face opposition and suffering and marginalization, um, can we? Can we? Can we have security? Can we? Can we even thrive here? And the answer is yes, uh, we can. And 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 that's. What, what Peter does next here is give us uh, five what I'll call God-centered sources of life security for you. 
And every one of these five is true of you right now if you're a believer in Jesus. So let's hit these quickly. Remember what we're saying. You're a, you're a resident alien. You're, you're, you're in a place that doesn't fit, that isn't your home. Um, and and as, a, as such, you're going to be facing difficulties. How, how do you face that with security uh, and confidence? Five, five sources of that security. First, life in general, and your life in particular, is happening according to a plan. Your life is life in general, and your life is unfolding according to a plan. It may seem obvious, but it's super important. Um, especially because it's not our felt experience all the time, right? In this last year and a half, so much has seemed out of control. So many of us struggling in various ways. Uh, and and it, it seems like life is unfolding uh, without a plan. Well, Peter says, no, it's, it's unfolding according to a plan. Now, he does, again, he doesn't say it in so many words. But how does he say it? Well, he says it in a fascinating way. And I want, I'm going to spend just a minute or two to get into this because we're going to see this phenomenon throughout his letter. And I, I want you to understand it. Verse 1, he calls the Christians exiles of the dispersion. Right Now, that word translated dispersion is, is a Greek word that you know. We know it in Greek. It's the, the diaspora. Right, that's often referred to it as the, it's the, and, and so what he's doing, it's a loaded phrase because what he's doing is he's addressing a, a mixed audiences of, they're Christians, but they're Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, but he's he's using Jewish words, Jewish realities, to uh, and applying them to this mixed audience of Yeshua worshipers that are both Jewish and non-Jewish. Right? The Jews were the exiles. They, they went through exiles. The Jews were the ones in the diaspora. But now Peter is, is lifting those words and he's applying them to both Jew and Gentiles, to us, to new life. I mean, we have, we have Jews and Gentiles here. Uh, and we're all united by our faith uh, in in Jesus. Does the same thing in verse 2 when he s- says that we're set apart for sprinkling with his blood, speaking of Jesus' blood. Again, that's, a, that's Old Testament language. It's referring to what the Jewish priests did uh, at, at times in their worship. They would take the blood of the sacrificed animal and using a hyssop branch would, would s- actually sprinkle the blood on on the Jewish, gathered Jewish worshipers, right? As an outward sign that um, that the sacrifice covered their sin. They would be literally covered with blood as, as a sign that their sin was covered. But now Peter's applying that to all of us. Again, not just the Jews, but to Jews and us, Gentiles. And, and this time we're sprinkled not with the blood of an animal, but with both of us with the blood of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus himself. Okay, now I said, my point was here that this, our security comes through the fact that life's unfolding according to a plan. I'm, how, how does this relate to that? Uh, 
Well, here's the point. The point is that Peter is saying, look at Christians, whether you're a Jew or a, Christ, or, or a Gentile, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, we are all now grafted into Israel, right? It, Israel's story is now your story. Israel's history is now your history. God's, and therefore, God's the plan for Israel, which is laid out in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is now God's plan for you. See, what he's, he's really sort of subtly but very powerfully communicating that as believers in Jesus, even if we're not Jews, we have been written into the story and we worship the author. And the author, like, all, like every author, is in charge of the plot. He's writing it. Okay? So your life is unfolding according to a plan. And second, second source of security, you were handpicked for the plan. Verse 1, Peter addresses this letter to those who are elect exiles. Now, you didn't think a Presbyterian preacher would skip over that word, right? Elect exiles. Um, The doctrine of election, which is really just saying that we're chosen, that God chose his people to those who are the chosen exiles, right? It's affirming that you are not a Christian by accident, or by luck, or by chance. Paul said it this way, Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Which is a, that's amazing. right? And then he goes on, Even as He chose us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then if that's not clear enough, he, he sort of says it in another way again. In love, he predestined us for adoption as adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So we're chosen We're predestined for adoption as sons, and that refers to women as well. Paul uses sons exclusively there because in his time, his culture, sons were the inheritors. And he wanted to make sure that all the believers knew, men and women, that you are adopted for for inheritance purposes. We're all considered sons. We're all co-inheritors with Jesus. Um, So... God's plan reaches back even before Genesis, right? Before the foundation of the world. And, and, and he chose you to be a part of his plan. You. Uh, there, you know, that ought to make us incredibly humble. And, and it also ought to overwhelm us with mystery, right? There's, there's mystery in this. The Bible teaches that God is absolutely sovereign in this act of of choosing his people, but it also teaches just as clearly that every human being made in the image of God is a responsible moral agent. You're responsible for your decisions. 
and that it's and that you have a real choice. You make a real choice when you decide whether or not to follow Jesus. That is the most important decision you can make. It's your decision to make. And yet mysteriously, and maybe it'll be resolved, you know, in glory, we'll see that that our decision, our choice of God, our choice of Jesus ultimately is evidence that God chose us first. Edmund Clowney, some of you remember Ed Clowney. He was a pastor here. He's a professor at Westminster Seminary. He was one of my preaching professors. Um, he wrote a wonderful commentary on First Peter. Um, and he, he, he reminds us in, in that commentary, he says, remember that chosen doesn't mean choice in, in the sense of USDA choice, right? Uh, when we say USDA choice, we mean, right, USDA has branded this meat as really good, right? This is, this is a choice cut of, uh, of meat. But, but God doesn't choose people uh, because they're choice, because they're qualified, strong, good, holy, blameless. Thankfully, God does not choose his people uh, like we choose teams on the playground. You know, still one of the worst initiation rites of childhood. And unfortunately, it's one of those initiation rites that keeps happening over and over and over again, right? Because how do, you know, how do teams get picked on the playground? Who gets picked, right? The strong, the big, the strong, the talented, the experienced, the winners. Should be encouraged that God doesn't pick, pick his people like that. God does just the opposite, right? God picks the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the spiritually dead. And that's good news. That's encouraging. So the, here, those are two, two things that ought to be building our security even though we are facing a tough life as resident aliens here, right? We are, our lives are happening according to a plan. We've been written into God's story. He's the author. And we have been chosen, I mean, handpicked by God for inclusion in his plan. But now I suppose, and maybe Peter psyched this out, and maybe you're thinking it, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm in God's plan, he chose me to be in his plan, then why am I still suffering? Why am I still having all these difficulties? Why, why, why this hostility? Why this opposition? Um, you, you might think that, and I know some Christians do, because you come to me and, and, and tell me that you're, you know, you you say you're a Christian. You you are a Christian, but you come in and say, you know, I don't. I because of what's going on in my life, I you know, I I'm beginning to question whether God really loves me. And I you know I understand that, but but what I want you to see is that uh, the fact that we have these suffering and difficulties as resident aliens in the world is, is not inconsistent with, with God's love for us, okay? Um, 
because what's going on in your life right now, who you are as a person and what's going on in your life right now is the result of the combined work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about in verse 2. And each of those persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has directed his energies right at you. Right? So verse 1, Paul says, Peter says, you're an elect exile. Verse 2, you're an elect exile according to the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. This is all as God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit want it and will it and are working it. So let's look at that. Let's look at the, the, the work of each one of the persons of the Trinity. Those are the next three uh, of our five uh, sources of life security. Right. So the third source of life security is the fact that behind who you are and whatever you're going through right now is the amazing truth that God set his love on you a long time ago. He doesn't love you because of uh, what you did yesterday or what you're doing today. Uh, He set his love on you a long time ago. Go. The way Peter says that is in verse 2 is that you're an elect exile. Here it is, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that's confusing because we don't understand. Foreknowledge in our minds has a different meaning, right? When we think of foreknowledge, we think of knowing what's going to happen in the future. And maybe we read that and go, okay, God looked into down the quarters of time, saw, saw, you know, where I am as a result of all my decisions and then, you know, and then deals with me there because he knows what's going to happen. That, that's a, a legitimate sense of foreknowledge, but it's not what this word means here. Uh, God does have that ability, of course, to see into the future. But uh, what this means is that he has the, is that, is that God loves, God loves you. God sets his love on you before you've done anything. Okay? Think of the verb to know. Uh, the verb to know, you know, in the Bible, has a, it means more than what, 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 what we think. We say no, we know something, you know, we understand it, we grasp it. Um, uh, but and 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 the verb to know in 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 the Bible can have that meaning, but it can also mean to know can also mean to intimately love. We don't we don't use the word that way, but the Bible does all the time. Um, you you may remember if if you're a Christian, you may remember uh, reading from the King, King James version. Uh, or if even if you're not a Christian, hearing the King James Version read and hearing that, that antiquated language, and I still remember because it, it confused me when I heard it as a kid, you'd hear something like, uh, Adam knew Eve and Eve bore Seth. Right? Well, obviously knew in that case means that that Adam intimately loved Eve and as a result she bore Seth. 
So what, th- what this is saying is, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, is that you are where you are right now. You're a resident alien facing all of the problems that, that, co- that comes with that in our hostile culture, according to the reality that God loved you already. He set his love on you in, in, in the eternity past. So what's happening to you is not inconsistent with God's love. It's a playing out of God's love. Now that's mysterious to us again, because of course we're finite. We don't see the whole picture. We can't see how any a particular situation can be, can be loving, uh, because we don't see all the facts. We don't see where God is taking us. But I, just, I want you to know, friends, that you can be confident that behind what you're going through, Uh, right now, is God's personal love for you. You are an elect exile according to the foreloving of God. Okay? Fourth source of life security is that you've been consecrated by the Holy Spirit. Now, this, I, I use a different word. Our translation says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, which is literal but not very helpful. Uh, because sanctification can mean, you know, kind of the progressive work of the Spirit. We're progressively being sanctified as believers, more and more, made more and more into His image. Sometimes for me, it feels more like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. But, but we are being, by the Spirit, sanctified. But sanctification can also have a, uh, a, a, a sense of, uh, uh, of a, sort of a one-time sense, right? Not, not a progressive sense, but a definitive sense. Uh, and, and that, I think, is communicated better by the word consecration or, or even maybe better, set apart. That, that God has, the, the Father has foreloved you and the Spirit has set you apart for God's use. Right, those whom God has foreloved, the Spirit then sets apart, puts on the ready shelf for God's holy use. That's no small thing. You know, and, 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 and you should, you should think about that. Think about your life in light of that truth because I know there are, it's easy in a, in a, any given day. You're sitting, you know, in a traffic jam on the 15. And you feel like, you know, a completely anonymous cog in a wheel, uh, in some big wheel, big machine, um, uh, or or you're you know you're going about your a, a project at work and you just don't see any real important purpose for it, or you're you know you're at home staring at, at you know yet one more pile of laundry or facing more challenges from you know raising children and it feels kind of like you're on your own and and it's and it's you're not certain that you're doing anything that's all that significant you need to hear what peter is saying to you not only have you been foreloved by god but you have been set apart by the holy spirit for god and that's true of you right now So what are you set apart for? Well, God's holy use. Now that's, that, that's a huge topic. But Peter goes on here to, to give us one specific thing. Uh, 
identifies one specific thing that we're set apart for. And that's the fifth source of life security for you and me. We're set apart by the Holy Spirit. Here's the quote. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Here's where I have a difference with our translation. And, and I say that humbly. Uh, and I don't want it to convey that you should lose any confidence in, in our modern translations. They're remarkably good. Um, and um, it, it is, I think the difficulty here is we've got difficult Greek. We have Greek that, that is open to various interpretations. The words can mean different things. Uh, and, 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 and it's very context dependent. And sort of how you interpret the context is going to determine, interpret how you translate it. So, so Christian's judgment on this differs. And I, my judgment differs here from the ESV. You, you see, they, they say the Holy Spirit has set you apart for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's your obedience you render to Jesus, right? And then for sprinkling with his blood. That is, you're, you are set apart to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you what the Greek... I'll just do a very wooden, literal translation of the, of the Greek. It says, the Holy Spirit sets you apart for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you hear that, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, they're interpreting that obedience as relating to you. But it can just as easily be appealing to Jesus. It's talking about, we're not only talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, we're talking about the obedience of Jesus. And I think that's what, I believe that's what this means. Um, I understand. Look, there, there's nothing untrue about this translation. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We're, we're, we're saved to obey, right? We don't obey. We don't obey and then are saved. That would be a disaster. We're saved for obedience, uh, and, and, and Peter's going to talk a lot about that in this book. In fact, not in not too long here in the same chapter, he's going to be talking about the obedience of believers. So I, and I think it's that context that's causing this, the, the, the translators here to say, well, this must refer to our obedience. So we're set apart for obedience to Christ and, and sprinkling with his blood. That's accurate, uh, but I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. Listen, what the, in the context, what's he doing? He's writing to Christians who are facing suffering and persecution and difficulties. You are too. And what he's doing right at the outset is encouraging them. He said, look, you're, yes, this is what you're going to experience. This is in your home. But I want you to see how secure you are. I want you to see how airtight your security is. So I'm going to tell you about what God the Father has done for you. I want to tell you about what the Spirit has done for you. And then third, I'm going to tell you about what Jesus has done for you. And friends, what has Jesus done? What was the work that Jesus did for you? It had really two big parts, right? Jesus obeyed and Jesus died. 
Jesus obeyed. The, 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 uh, right? Adam didn't. Adam didn't obey God's law, and as a result, tragedy, right? All of humanity plunged into this downward spiral, and as a result, you and I don't obey, even though we try. Even though we try to obey, we don't. We continually break God's law every day. And so God does something for us because we couldn't do it. He sent, he sent God. He sent his son uh, in, in, into our world uh, to uh, obey, to obey, right? Not for his account, but for your account, to obey for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He perfectly did it. Romans 5.19, this Paul, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Friends, what Peter is saying here is the Holy Spirit set you apart to receive the obedience of Jesus. To receive the benefits of his obedience. To receive the righteousness of his obedience. So that when you stand before God on that day, you you don't stand simply forgiven, which we're going to talk about in a sec. You stand clothed in the obedience of Jesus. God sees you as a perfect law keeper because Jesus kept the law for you. Awesome, right? This is the part, we always focus on the fact that Jesus died for us. We very rarely focus on the fact that Jesus lived for us. And that life of obedience makes us righteous. It's awesome. So, Holy Spirit set us apart for Jesus' obedience. Holy Spirit set us apart for the sprinkling with his blood, right? That's, that's the second thing Jesus did. He died. Just like the animal sacrifices in Jewish worship that, that pointed forward to Jesus, uh, he was sacrificed for your sins, and you have figuratively but really been sprinkled with the blood uh, of Jesus. Which means that all your mistakes, all your guilt, all your shame, all your sin, all your selfishness, all your ingratitude, all your not caring, all the grotesque evil in your mind and heart that nobody sees except you and God, All of that's forgiven because Jesus took it in his body and was killed on the cross to pay the penalty for it. So it's forgiven. The Holy Spirit set you apart for that total forgiveness and the total righteousness of his obedience. You talk about about airtight security, right? But now some of you would say, well, it's too airtight. I mean, that's just too good to be true. I mean, if that's true, if what God the Father did and the Holy Spirit did and Jesus did is, is really true, then why not live like hell until heaven comes? Right? Um, and I, I wouldn't blame you for asking that question or even thinking that way. That Paul got that question when he preached. Um, but if you are thinking that, then then you, I would say you haven't really understood the gospel. You haven't understood the radical nature of what the Father, the Spirit, and especially the Son 
have, have, have done for you. And, and, and to actually live that way, to, to live in a you know, sinful way because Jesus' perfect work allows you to do that is, 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 is just really unthinkable. Okay. Now, let me illustrate that if I can um, with what is obviously an appropriate Memorial Day illustration. Um, San Diego Union Tribune a few years back r- r- had an article, ran an article about a 19-year-old Army specialist by the name of Ross McGinnis at, on a December afternoon in December of 2006 uh, McGinnis was riding in the raised gunner's turret of a Humvee through the streets of uh, eastern Baghdad. Inside the Humvee were four of uh, his platoon mates. From the roof of a building, as, he, as they were driving by, from the roof of a building, a hostel made an incredibly lucky throw. Uh, a grenade clattered down through the open turret where, where Ross McGinnis was and down into the Humvee. Immediately, in according with, to his training, uh, McGinnis yelled out, Grenade! The next thing his training would say to do is seek safety, right? And the others who heard grenade were to seek immediately seek safety. Uh, but in a split second, and, and we get, he, he he could see McGinnis could see that his friends were were confused. They didn't know where the grenade was. They, they were kind of fumbling around. It was it was clear to McGinnis in that split second that they weren't going to get out. And so in that split second, McGinnis dropped down through the turret, laid on the grenade, <clears throat> and it immediately exploded with, with, with such force that it blew the doors of the Humvee off. And of course, it instantly killed Ross, but his four comrades, uh, though wounded, were all saved. And this article was sort of a retrospective. They were, they were ta- interviewing the four men who had been saved by Ross McGinnis's actions. And, and one of them who had actually been facing Ross when he threw himself down on the grenade and as a consequence was literally sprinkled with his blood. Much more than sprinkled, I'm sure. Uh, he, he said, he's quoted in the article as saying this, you know, when someone gives you a life, can you thank them enough? Is that even possible? And then every one of them, every one of the four, emphasized that they, that they lived their lives in daily remembrance and acknowledgement of Ross's sacrifice and sought to make their lives worthy of it. That's a great story. True story. And, it, and if, if we get that at that level, right, uh, and, and understand that, that, that the, the reaction of those surviving soldiers, um, then how can it be any different with Jesus? When he saves our lives, right, saves us from, from, from judgment, 
saves us from eternity in hell, gives us eternal life with him. Um, And how did he do that? He voluntarily threw himself on the wrath of God and let it destroy him so that you and I would be saved. It's, it's, It's a remarkable, radical, compelling thing. And, and if we really see it and understand it, we, it should be unthinkable that we would then say, well, then I can live my life any way I want, right? But we ought to be compelled by not only gratitude, but by honor in a, in a way that would honor Jesus to move out, right, in loving service and obedience to God, um, right? Peter closes this with a blessing. Grace and peace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, in fact, he just showed them how that they were already recipients of multiplied grace and peace. You know, I think sometimes we talk about grace so much as sort of, it, it's, it, you might think of it as some kind of a mysterious substance that uh, God pours into your life and maybe you get a lot of it or maybe you get a little of it. That's not, that's not the way to think about it. I mean, grace is inseparable from what God, who God is and what God did. I mean, what, what Peter has just described here, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is in fact grace. Right? Where God freely did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and, and He did it for us when we haven't deserved it or earned it or, and couldn't. And that, and what God did, that grace that God did has given us real, real peace. And again, not peaceful circumstances. I would love to say that, you know, all this means, you know, life's going to be peaceful. It's not. You know, you're a resident alien. But we have, we have peace in the form of the reality that no matter what is swirling on around us in this crazy world, we have the rock-solid assurance that there isn't anything that we're facing or anything that we will face that has the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's real peace, right? In that, with, it, with that grace and that peace, you and I can face anything. Amen. Amen. Let's take two minutes to, to reflect on this word. It's short. You can read it again. Um, reflect on, on the security you have in, in Christ. Uh, pray about how you can respond to it, you know, uh, in, in loving service, self-giving love of Jesus to, to, uh, to those outside. Um, Let's do that. Uh, pray silently. I'll close us in a couple of minutes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close out. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the security we have in you, for your foreknowledge of us, your sanctification, your consecration of us, and your 
obedience and sacrifice for us. May we live out of that security in these difficult days. Help us to honor you in what we think and say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.